It's good to have the opportunity to speak again. This is, uh, I have to adjust to a large congregation in the morning to sort of a, like a large Bible study at night. So we'll see. We'll work our way through it. Um, if you've got the Bible open, um, we're going to look at that short passage there, uh, verses 12 to um, 18 of Philippians. And I might pray that God will help us understand it as we move through it. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, uh, for what you say to us and what we've read so far in your word. We thank you for that Galatians reading which tells us what to put off and what to put on. And we thank you for this reading now that we've just looked at that reminds us of how we need to behave with one another in church. Please help us to understand what Paul is saying and to put into practice in the way we live. Amen. I don't know if you felt marginalised as being a Christian. Uh, have you had that? Have you been in a situation where people are discussing things and suddenly you realise, well, I'm not on the same wavelength anymore as you. What I used to think we all agreed with, now I feel as though I'm the outsider. Um, we we're told we live in a post-Christian world. I think only in the last couple of years it's been driven home to me that that's true. Uh, sometimes you overhear conversations and you think, wow, the people really think that's the general view of things. I really feel a little bit on the outer. Um, the majority of people don't believe in the God of the Bible. The census says something different, but I think they believe in a God of their own making, many people, but not the God of the Bible. They don't believe that the word of God uh, is what the Bible is. You, if you believe in the Bible, you can choose to believe this bit and choose not to believe this bit, not, not the whole lot. Uh, so they're sceptical. And morality seems to be watered down to something like, um, if it's good for you and it doesn't hurt anyone else, it must be okay. Which is very scary because that can change very dr dramatically, can't it? As we, as a society, work out what we think is good for people. So we as Christians can be ridiculed and be told we're old-fashioned and unenlightened. Uh, all around us, people are saying, I have a right to be me. Some years ago we spoke more about values than rights, but now rights seem to be the thing, don't they? They're basic human rights, but now people tell us that um, rights come in all sorts and shapes and forms. So a young man who loves sex and freedom so much that he won't commit to a relationship to have children will say it's his right uh, to live with his girlfriend for as long as he likes uh, to give him what he wants. Or if a young woman, uh, an independent young woman, uh, desires her independence so intensely she lives in terror of becoming pregnant, um, an abortion industry emerges to give her what she wants. Or uh, in the case of science, for example, a scientist who craves uh, to be popular and recognised for discovering a new cure will argue that Using human embryos is fine, as long as the end justifies the means. And if we raise our voices and say, hey, hang on, uh, this doesn't quite fit at the moment, uh, if we object, we're shouted down and told to stop being old-fashioned and ignorant. Well, how are we supposed to act in this crooked and perverse generation? That's the question before us uh, tonight. And Paul has the answer for us fairly clearly. He says, shine like stars. What's that mean and how do we get there? Uh, let's work our way through this passage and see what Paul has to tell the Philippians and us. 
Last week, if uh, you were here, you'd remember Stuart spoke about that great passage in Philippians chapter 2 from verse uh, 6 onwards, which talks about Jesus' uh, humiliation and his exaltation. In other words, Jesus is the one who is uh, humbled. He humbles himself. He makes himself nothing, uh, taking on the form of a servant and uh, taking on our likeness and dying for us. And because of his obedience to the Father, he's raised up and exalted and given the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. And so it's with those words in mind that Paul now goes on and says, okay, because of these things, therefore, this is how I want you to behave. These are the guidelines I want to give you to, uh, and directives to show you how to react in living out a healthy relationship within the context of church life. So he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. What it's not saying is that uh, you need to work out your own salvation to work for your own salvation. Um, that, that's a view that uh, Protestants don't hold to, whereas um, many Roman Catholics do, that you have to work towards your salvation. So you have to do things to achieve in order uh, to be right with God. So sometimes uh, Protestant Christians are called arrogant when they answer the question, uh, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And they say, yes. People say, how can you say that? That's so arrogant to think. Well, if you're thinking in terms of works, it is arrogant. But from what we see in the passage, it's not based on works. It's based on grace. You know the uh, sign you see often on graves, RIP, rest in peace? It has a Catholic background. It comes from the idea of rest in peace. I hope this person is resting in peace. I hope they find peace in, in, in resurrection. Um, if you're a, a Protestant Christian, you should be writing uh, resting in peace because you're already there. It's not a hope to look forward to. It's a, it's a sure fact that you are resting in the peace that God has given you. How do we know this? Well, if you go back to the beginning of um, chapter 1, uh, Paul writes to the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, the saints are those who have been uh, saved by grace. And if you go to uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he talks about being confident of this, that he who now who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's speaking about the fact that uh, God has saved you and now he wants you to work through your salvation. It's as though uh, this is God and uh, this is me and let's say this is Jesus. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus standing in our place. And we as Christians know we're sinful, but because Jesus stands in our place and advocates for us, uh, God sees us as being perfect. So our role is to become what we already are in Jesus. Uh, the, the terminology is we're justified, we're made right with God, and then we're sanctified. That's a process of becoming more Christ-like. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Now, when Paul writes this, uh, he's actually writing to a group of Christians. He's writing to the church. 
We often uh, take these sorts of passages as individualistic things. But remember in the context of this writing, Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are facing some problems. So working out your salvation in the church means that we have to uh, obey what Jesus has told us to do. Paul uh, encourages me, says, uh, you've, you've obeyed me, uh, but Paul was obeying Jesus. So he's now encouraging them to obey what Jesus says. And what Jesus has said is in the beginning of chapter 2, uh, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. So that's where Paul's going with this. Uh, and he gives us some guidelines on how to behave. Now, these are not guidelines to good manners. It's not saying, uh, if you're a Christian, we expect you to behave like this occasionally and put on your manners when you come to church. Now he's saying, look, these follow Jesus' exaltation. Uh, Jesus is not just uh, like God, Jesus is God. And if you're to work through your own salvation as a Christian group, then you need to do it in fear and trembling. You've got to realise who Jesus is. He's not just your, he's not just your buddy. Uh, he, he, he can be your friend, but he's more than that. He's God himself. And that's a fearful thing to uh, fall into the hands of the living God. So as you work through your salvation uh, and becoming more like Jesus, be encouraged by those around you and encourage others to keep on uh, going in that course. But as awesome as our call is here uh, to work at our salvation, we're told we're not alone. If you have a look at verse 13, now let's see where my slides are up to. Oh, yeah, we've got it there. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. It's not um, God and you working together to make things happen. It's all of God. God saves you by grace and he gives you the will and he gives you the action. It's not like you will and God acts or God acts and you will. It's God does everything for you. Uh, we can't do it by ourselves. We haven't got the desire to do what's right. Uh, our desire is to do things that are wrong. I think uh, if you have a look at the statement here by Augustine, uh, one of the great church leaders uh, a long time ago said this, God makes us do what he pleases by making us desire what we do not desire. So we don't desire to do God's will, but God puts that desire in us and then we go from there. Well, having said that, Paul gives him a second command. Now, if you have a look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. What does that remind you of in the Bible? Who else grumbled and argued with their leaders? Hmm. In Exodus, that's right. Uh, the people of God, as they moved from Egypt to the Promised Land, spent most of the time grumbling with, them, with Moses and with God. Uh, let me just read to you one little section. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, from the book of Exodus, uh, where the writer says this, In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Uh, the Israelites said to them, 
If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to this entire assembly to death. Now, they never had meat like casseroles in Egypt. They were slaves. So their memories were incorrect. But they grumbled. They grumbled in the previous chapter about water. They didn't have enough. They grumbled against Moses' leadership. And when Moses was up the mountain, even under Aaron, they made a false god to worship because they didn't believe that Moses could give them a true identity as the people of God. Paul's telling us to stop grumbling as a people because one of the problems in the Philippian church was that there was infighting, there was grumbling, there were disturbances. And Paul says, when the world looks at you and sees this, how are they going to believe that you have a message of salvation if you can't even get it right within your own congregation? Critical complaining spirits can undo a church. They're in every culture. Um, I was at a church once where a fellow used to write to the uh, bishop nearly every week about something that someone in the church did wrong. It was either preaching from the lectern, one of these things, instead of the pulpit, or not turning the right way to say the creed, or wearing the wrong coloured garments when you were uh, taking communion. Um, But it was just so tiresome for the minister because he had to fight these little fires when all he wanted to do was to get on with the gospel. Uh, I had a lady uh, in a church once who told me she had the very useful gift of criticism and she liked to use it. She thought it was a, it was a God-given gift to be actually to uh, critically appraise what was going on in church and she let the minister know. Grumbling and questioning are a watershed in our hearts. They really discern who we are and uh, if you're one of those people who grumbles and questions things all the time about church, then stop. It's got no place in a church. By all means, ask questions. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, doing it behind people's backs and gossiping and grumbling about things only divides a church and certainly doesn't help it grow. And Paul sees a New Testament church as being like a new exodus. He's saying, we're off to the promised land. Our promised land is heaven, the kingdom of God in its realisation, and we need to be people who don't grumble. If they get it right and they put their whinging away, the Philippians will be an example to the pagan culture of the time. Now, you remember that culture? It was uh, pretty bad, wasn't it? Uh, It was a culture that uh, worshipped uh, Caesar as God. And so to worship Jesus as God was uh, like treason, in those days. So Paul writes this. Let's go on and see the end of this story. Uh, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now where's Paul get this uh, allusion to stars from? Where does that come from? Well, like so many things in the New Testament, you just got to go back to the old and you'll find it. Uh, turn with me, would you please, to Daniel chapter 12 in your Bibles. Uh, Daniel 12, I think, is on page 898.
We're going to read the first couple of verses here. And you'll see where Paul gets this idea from and why, why he uses it in this context. See the heading? It says the end time. So Daniel's got a vision. He's writing about uh, the time to come when God intervenes in history. At that time, Michael, uh, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes asleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is a picture of the resurrection age. And you can see how Paul has got there. He's taken us from chapter 2 about as a group of people being humble and concerned for others to giving us an example of what Jesus has done for us to taking us to Jesus' exaltation and he's being raised up to that position of power and authority and he says to us, now it's your turn. Like Jesus, shine like stars. Let your light be seen to the watching world. Don't dim it. Now, we have an option here, don't we? We can shine like stars or we can hide our light under a bushel. And I think in the world today, it's really easy to become a group that wants to shrink and shrink and shrink and hide and not not get involved in debate with the world because when we debate the world, we get hit. And so many hits uh, often just say, well, I give up. I just These are my views and I'll keep them to myself. Well, we can be grouchy with one another in church and we can complain and be critical. But Paul says a critical spirit has no place in the Christian church. Uh, we need to have an attitude uh, that... Uh, doesn't hinder our salvation. So as a church, we need to not be a cultural joke uh, to the crooked and perverse generation. People need to be able to see in us something that's different from the way uh, they live their lives. So what's it look like in practice? Well, I think the issue for today, isn't it, is um, marriage equality. That's the big talking point. In fact, I got an email during the week from the Archbishop which said uh, in churches this Sunday they wanted us to actually say something about marriage equality and encourage us to register to vote no. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's like a being told what to do, but I guess we have to work through that and uh, make up our minds, uh, biblically, what we should do. I, I don't want to speak on the subject of marriage equality today, but I do want to just touch on the fringes of it and talk a little bit about how we should react to those who vehemently oppose us. Um, I don't know if you felt under attack on this particular subject, if it's been brought up at work or at, uh, at school or something and people have howled you down for your thoughts and told you you're, you're out of date. Um, it's, it's been so hard, especially with the ABC, uh, being told they're not being fair about it and given a directive that they need to actually have a, a, a two-sided conversation rather than just pushing one side. Uh, and even uh, social commentators like Andrew Bolt now advocating that Christians should get a fair hearing and not be bullied and persecuted. Um, well, thanks, Andrew, but we're told that we follow a suffering servant and we can expect that to happen. But nevertheless, if we take a position, we need to be able to take a position so that people see that we still shine like stars. So how do we go about that? 
Well, a friend of mine uh, posted a blog the other day and I thought I'd just share a couple of those uh, ideas that he came up with, which I think Paul would endorse. Uh, only three simple ones, but I, I think if you are in conversation with someone about an issue like this, these, these can be fairly helpful. Uh, remember the people that you interact with are those who are made in God's image. God loves them as he loves you and he treats them with respect and dignity and we to do the same thing. So don't treat them as enemies. They might treat you like that. Treat them as opponents and continue to debate the issue rather than to um, uh, abuse in what you say. Uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry uh, in conversation. If someone says something fairly abusive to you, you might want to re 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 rejoin by saying something like, well, tell me more, I don't really understand your position as well as I ought to. Can you please inform me? Give me some more information. And perhaps even if they write some vitriol about you, just say, well, well thank you for that information. Uh, this is what I believe. Rather than defending ourselves and writing back in an attack mode. I think the most important point that's made is don't be distracted by less important things that take us away from the gospel. So many of these issues are just side issues and uh, we can run with them uh, with vehemence and lose our gospel-mindedness. Um, if things we yell about stop people hearing the gospel, we've lost the most important battle. Uh, when the dust settles, which it will in, in a couple of months or years, do we want to be remembered as people who hurl abuse at others or do we want to be remembered as people who spoke with love and were kind and considerate, who listened with love and won or lost the debate with love? Same-sex marriage is not going to threaten the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, but how you act as a follower will reflect his Lordship to the world. Shine like stars, says Paul. Hold firmly to the word of life. That is the gospel. Be gospel-minded in what you do. See debate as an opportunity to speak about Jesus. And if you can slip that in, that's great. Uh, if the church has a peek at us, then it needs to see a group that's not grumbling and mumbling, not divided, but uh, working towards loving each other in our community and loving those outside. Paul said of the Philippian church, uh, hold out the word of life in order that I might boast on the day of Christ. I think he's saying that to us too. And as he says to the Philippians, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. May Paul uh, say the same things to us. He rejoices in the fact that we're trying desperately under God's leadership to remain unified and to say things in a loving way so that uh, we might shine as lights in the world. I might pray for us and if you've got any questions about the uh, subject tonight, uh, please feel free to ask them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what you tell us. Uh, please help us to act as those who've been saved and to live up to our calling. Especially in the issues that divide our community, please help us just to be a light shining there. Uh, if we face persecution, help us to know what Jesus went through and to rejoice that we are like him. We pray these things for Jesus' sake and in his mighty name. Amen. Any comments, questions?
What's that mean, Jeff? Click. Oh. Can I have comments and questions? Right, okay. That'll encourage everyone to ask a question now. Uh, good. <laughs> I've either thoroughly confused you or answered all your questions. Phew, I'll come back again next, next time. I had prepared answers for questions you might ask. Uh, I won't ask them. Serious? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you.